0: Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today I'm speaking to Head of Academy Sports Science and Medicine at Derby County Football Club, Luke Jenkinson, Head of Science and Strength and Conditioning at Middlesbrough Football Club, Frankie Hunter, and Head of Academy Sports Science and Medicine at Blackburn Rovers Football Club, Russ Wrigley. Into this episode of the pacey performance podcast so this is the second roundtable podcast of a series that i'd promised and that was to deliver one roundtable podcast per month with a specific um a specific group of people who specialize in a certain area so we had ryan timmins josh ruddy and jack hickey talking about uh hamstring injuries last month which was july 2019 and this month, we've got a youth football or youth soccer round table with Luke Jenkinson, who's at Derby County, uh, Frankie Hunter, who's at Middlesbrough Football Club, and uh, Russ Wrigley, who's at Blackburn. So all these three guys and girls come from um, Category 1 football academies here in the UK. So it was great to get these guys on. And let me assure you that this is one of the best episodes that I've done. Not only the best, one of the best roundtables that I've done, But one of the best episodes full stop it could have gone on all night and just to let you know it does come to a bit of an abrupt ending because we had a few technical issues and then life got in the way for myself and um, and the guys who were on the call so but that doesn't take away from the the information that is delivered in that first um, 50 or 55 minutes. So really hope you enjoyed this episode. It was so good to get these three guys on, and it was really nice to have them bouncing off each other, asking each other questions, and um, having some really good frank debates. So hope you enjoy this episode. Again, would always, always love your feedback. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Kitman Labs. So Kitman Labs partners with leading sports teams to help them consistently achieve the highest levels of performance by increasing the impact of their data. So over 200 teams across the globe rely on Kitman Labs' performance intelligence platform to quantify the cost of performance and injury and receive the right insights at the right time. Through unique outcome-driven analytics and the most advanced athlete management system, teams can align their organizations around a shared view of what it takes to drive performance and health and move at the speed of sport to adjust and continuously improve. If you want to know more about Kitman Labs, head over to www.win.kitmanlabs.com forward slash impact. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by I measure you. So used by leading sports practitioners and biomechanics researchers worldwide to capture and compare multi-limb inertial data in the field IMU-STEP from iMeasureU is a dual sensor and app lower limb load monitoring tool which helps practitioners optimize return to play for running based sports So iMeasureU have just released their new and improved waterproof sensor Blue Trident which includes ultra high G capabilities to quantify high impact steps such as cutting, landing and sprinting, longer battery life to collect data all day, real time feedback to aid immediate interventions and faster workflow so practitioners can review long training sessions within minutes of training completion. I measure you. now part of Vicon, works with military, pro and collegiate coaches and athletes from around the world, including the Australian Institute of Sport, US Department of Defence and collegiate and pro teams from around the world. If you want to get to know more about I measure you, head over to their website imeasureu.com or follow them on Twitter or Instagram at imeasureu. And one last thing before we do get straight into the roundtable podcast with Luke, Uh, Russ and Frankie. This episode is supported by the Football Association so really appreciate their support and helping me get these three guys on to deliver the the unbelievably fantastic content that is about to be uh, unleashed in the next 50 to 55 minutes so really appreciate the support from the Football Association. So without further ado over to the episode with Russ, Luke and Frankie. Thanks for tuning in to the Pace Performance podcast this evening. I am delighted to be welcomed by Luke Jenkinson, Frankie Hunter, and Russ Wigley. So welcome to the podcast, guys. Evening. Good evening. Thank you for coming on. So I'm going to go to Luke first because he's experienced this kind of thing, having been on before. So traditional um, podcast intro from yourself, Luke, um, again for the third time. Um, just a bit of background on yourself, uh, experience, education, and what your what your role looks like at Derby. Cool. Yeah. So, um, those of you that have not heard me
1: speak before, basically, I grew up in a family that were loved strength training and weight room training, um, and I finished my school, and um, I actually was originally meant to be going to do quantity surveying at university, but that was around the time of the housing crash, and so I decided to go and work for a little while and defer my university studies. So I actually went and worked in sales um, and was very successful through that period, um, and then went into banking for a short period and went through um, almost a year's worth of sales training with, with um a large bank, shall we say, uh, through that period. I then discovered very quickly that I wanted to get out of that world and pursue a passion of mine. Um, So I went and at the time there wasn't many undergrads in strength and conditioning. I categorically knew I wanted to be an S&C coach. Um, So at that point the the closest or the, the, the only university that was commutable from my home in Sheffield that had a strength and conditioning pathway was the University of Derby. So I went there. Uh, where I attained a um, first-class degree alongside interning full-time at Sheffield United. Um, So I began in Sheffield United in 2010, um, just as a part-time intern that progressed to a full-time internship, and then I was there full-time through my third year. Then when I graduated, um, I went into uh, full-time employment as assistant sports scientist at the club, um, and then on the first initial onset of EPPP, um, due to my education, my experience, and the role, um, I actually became the lead strength and conditioning coach, but practically day-to-day, I was just leading the, the 9th to 16s program with some input with the full-time lads. Um, and then I did my master's, um, at, again, at the University of Derby, um, and in 2016, I joined uh, Derby Kite Football Club as Head of Strength and Conditioning there. Um, and that role progressed um, to last season where I became the Head of Sports Science and Medicine. So overseeing uh, medical, physiotherapy, psychology, nutrition, Strength and conditioning, sports science, um, for so all of our performance-based um, elements for the academy, um, I, I oversee and responsible for, for that department, um, and I'm now eighteen months into a professional doctorate um, at the uh, uh, LJMU, so Liverpool John Moores, working with uh, Barry Drust, Tom Brownley, and Dave Clark, where I'm investigating the efficacy of isometric training in team dynamic sports specifically related to um soccer or football we had this problem last time we'll continue
0: (laughs) (laughs) football football the football there's i was going to say there's a couple of different um northern accents on this isn't there yeah we're all southern the southerners are going to be few excellent (laughs) (laughs) so i'll come to it thanks for that luke very very polished thank you Did not before um Come to you, Frankie, and just a bit of background on yourself and, and what you're doing um, up in the northeast.
2: Yeah, that was that was a big introduction to follow, wasn't it?
0: That was Sorry. a good
2: one. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah, so I am I, I'm I'm a whole girl, um studied at the University of Hull. Um, I, I kind of initially came from more of a, a coaching background. Um, so so did my coaching badges up to UA for quite well relatively young. Um, uh, and kind of that was that was my early passion within sport was was playing football, but but really coaching football rather than playing. Um, kind of left school and and kind of studying a degree in sports science just seemed the obvious progression for me really. Um, and kind of went down the science route as opposed to coaching because of the, the kind of the coaching experience I'd, I'd got outside of of education. Um, so I finished my undergraduate degree um, and then went on to do so. Rick Lovell was my supervisor um and, and he asked me to to do a masters with with whole youth team which at the time i guess staying in education wasn't really what what i wanted to do but kind of saw it as a bit of a foot in the door with a you know with a professional setup and and kind of couldn't couldn't really turn the opportunity down so so i went on to do that um, did a part-time masters carried on with all with kind of my coaching outside of outside of the the education work and then when i finished that just kind of letter dropped as you do to to a whole host of different clubs and because my my dissertation was was around GPS which was quite it was kind of immature back then it was it was quite new um, I just looked at clubs that had invested into GPS and kind of just sent letters out to them and was really fortunate and really lucky enough to, to secure an internship down at, at Southampton for a year um, a bit of a gamble it was it was an unpaid internship and it was obviously a long way from home but um, I'd managed to save a little bit of money with the coaching work I'd done and thought, right, I'm going to give it a bash for you and see what happens. So I went went down there for a year and, you know, it was a really good grounding for me there. I think everyone's aware of, of the setup down there and, you know, I don't need to go into too much of that. It's, it's well publicised, but a great set-up and, and great staff that that kind of uh, led me and uh, and kind of became mentors and, and still are mentors to me to this day. Um, so I stayed there for, for three years in total and kind of worked through academy roles in, into... Um, first-team sports scientist, which was the role that, that I left there. So after that, you know, w- was fortunate, f- fortunate enough again to to land a role back home, so I went back home to Hull, um, and it actually wasn't the going back home bit that, that interested me, it was the progression in the role. So I was 24 at the time and, and got offered the role of the Head of Sports Science and Medicine at Hull, who were a Category 3 club at the time, but, you know, I had big plans to, to push on to be Category 2, and that was something that, that interested me and... and you know, managing staff and, and trying to develop myself that way was, was a big push. So it was hard leaving Southampton with with the club that it is and how good they were to me, but it was kind of a role that, that I couldn't turn down at, at that stage of my development. So went to Hull for three years, had a really good time there, Learned a lot about um, the role, Learned a lot about how to manage staff, how to try and lead a department, how to work with staff that are more experienced and have more knowledge than you, which was a really good experience for me. Um, and then... Spent a brief time at Everton, so I went to, to Everton whilst uh, Ronald Crewman was a the manager there. Obviously worked in and around him at, at Southampton, he was the last manager that I worked under. So I went into Everton as as head of sports science. Again, great learning experience for me there, really enjoyed my time there. Loved working with senior players again. Um, I love working with the young players as well, under nice, the fair team. I can't say I've really got a preference either way, but we all know how different it is working with you know, players that are developing as opposed to working at the senior end. So, kind of dip my toe back into the senior environment at Everton. Um, and then, when Sam Allardyce came in, obviously there was big changes, and and he brought you know a plethora of backroom staff. And the role that the club kind of offered me from there, I, I didn't really see that that was a step in the right direction for me at that time. So, left Everton, and then found myself. At Middlesbrough, which is which is where I currently am. So my role, in terms of my my job title, hasn't changed. So I'm head of science and strength and conditioning at the club. Um, initially going in to try and help support the staff that were there and and trying to line practices across the academy and trying to line it with fair seam where possible. Um, and this season my roles changed slightly in that I'm still managing the staff and still. You know, trying to join up practices and programmes there. But I'm working day to day as a fitness coach for the first team at the moment under the under the new manager. So, chopped and changed a little bit. Had a lot of experience with different, um, I guess, different clubs and, and different sizes of clubs and different age of, uh, of players. But overall, I think, um, I think I've taken a lot from, from everyone.
0: You followed it. You absolutely followed it from Luke. Good work, so thank you welcome. very much for that. I can
2: breathe
3: now. Russ, not, not to Not work, it puts me under pressure, big time.
0: <laughs> over to you, Russ. All
3: right, mine's very boring compared to them two, <laughs> flipping heck. Um, go where's your all start? I mean, obviously, I, I played a lot of amateur football, semi-pro football growing up and All I thought I was going to be involved with, well, more than being a rock and roll star, which I'm still trying to do, um, I believe it may happen one day. Um, Football was the only thing I wanted to do, you know, thought I was doing. Um, Then I soon realised I wasn't going to be good enough, as we all do, and um, looking at other options to do, and went to university and did a sports science degree at Staffordshire University. This is way back. I can't remember days like you guys, but. and back then, there was only three universities in the country that were doing it. I think it was about 95, something like that. One was Staffordshire, one was Loughborough, one was Birmingham. So I think Newcastle were doing it, Northumbria. So it wasn't the opportunities of all these places that you can do it now. Um, graduated, did a master's degree, come back, started working in leisure centres, bit of PT, still playing football, still very bad on the guitar as well at the same time. Um, mm-hmm. And then I managed to, I wrote a letter, talking about letter drops, I wrote 92 letters to 92 football league clubs. And obviously this is pre-email days. And um, I had a little chart at home that every month, if I don't know back, I would write another letter. And I thought, after four strikes, they were out. So I wasn't going to write any more. So I wrote a lot of letters. I got seven replies, and one of them was from Blackburn. So I started working as the SNC coach with the Academy. and um, SNC coach slash sports scientist with the Academy. Um a couple of days a week. That escalated a little bit to, you know, three or four days a week. But still at that stage there wasn't really that many people full time in football working as um SNC coach sports scientists. I'd always wanted to do a bit of physio. I thought about doing the degree originally. So I was lucky enough to do the the PFA one at Salford part time. So I did my physio degree. In the meantime, I landed a full-time role at the club at Blackburn. Um, since then, I've had many roles from working with the first team um, as a physio, then predominantly just as a, as a sports scientist, to a current role now, which I've been doing for probably seven years, as head of sports science and medicine with the academy. Um, done a master, I've done a PhD as well at John Moores University looking at paediatric physiology with with Barry who mentioned earlier Um, basis accredited and chartered scientists I think that's it I think that brings us up to date almost forgot the PhD Russ I know it's ridiculous isn't it (laughs) Constantly nearly killed me (laughs) (laughs) it took me me six years to do my PhD part time Um, working full time having two kids moving house three times yeah it was hard work (laughs)
0: <laughs> Wowzer So going from, I, know, I think we've probably all gone pre-EWP to obviously what we're in now but it'd be good to get your your take on what life was like pre-EWP and what positive or negative impact that's had on your practice uh, at Blackburn Russ
3: Yeah it's really interesting that because when I first started basically I was doing everything on my own really um, me, and, me and one other physio but I was leading the S&C sessions um, I was leading all the, the pitch-based stuff, I was doing a bit of nutrition, I was doing a bit of rehab, a bit of physio, um, a bit of psychology, a bit of driving the minibus to games, um, all, all kinds of stuff. And so look at the department we've got now where you've got like, four full-time physios, um, three time SNC coaches, sports scientists two psychologists, and nutritionists, you know, such a, such a great team of people. Um, are we delivering a better package? We're delivering a lot more to a lot more people, definitely. Um, and it's got to be better because we've got specialists in every area. I can't be a specialist in every single discipline, can I? You know what I mean? As, as, as no one can. Um, so my job now, really, is to try to bring all these different expertise together and hopefully maximise our programme. To the best for each individual.
0: Have you produced better players more consistently
3: because of the triple Do you think has that contributed? We've looked at this and no, I mean we've been pretty successful, but over a lot of years of producing quite a, quite a lot of players and um, at different levels from Premier League down to obviously lower leagues and even even non-league but people who are making livings out of the game. And we've looked at the stats and stuff and we, we we haven't produced any more than we did in previous years. But Blackburn's probably an interesting case point because obviously when I started, we were a top 10 premiership team with bigger budgets. The goals with that and and the recruitment process is easier, isn't it? If you're obviously in a Premier League team, uh, Premier League environment. Um, so it's, it's difficult to compare, but if you're comparing just facts No, that we're almost exactly the same.
1: Do you, okay, cool. do you think, though, Russ, potentially, and sorry to butt in, Rob, take your job. Do you, Please th- do. do you think that maybe the number of, if we're only deeming success being the number of players in the first team, may have stayed the same? Do you think that the experience or the journey for the rest has improved? Just as you say, there's now more specialists, there's now more contact across a wider range. So are those that, if, that let's say, in, in inverted commas, unsuccessful, are having a better journey?
3: No, I think I can't I can't disagree with that. I think the whole um, package that's delivered is is, is a lot better. Um, we're not judging off what we're getting our first team. We're judging to how many people are making a career right, yeah, out, yeah. out of the game. Um, but, yeah, I think it's – but the other thing's worth mentioning, and, and, and you can't put any numbers on this, but the products are such that the, 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 the people that are coming into the game, it's a lot different now than it was. The expectations are different, aren't they? The coverage, the media coverage is different. Um, I don't know whether it's harder or whether it's easier, but it's different. Um, people expect different services or different inputs. As, as teachers will probably vouch for exactly the same thing, what they, they're experiencing in schools, in the school environment, the educational environment. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I, I think it, it's got to be better because, like I said, I, I, I've done a bit of nutrition, you know, a decade ago you know my background my knowledge is is a bare minimum you know and we've recently employed a, a nutritionist coming here and it's brilliant to work with someone who's such a specialist in the area um you know so it's definitely a better better environment to be in
0: one thing i want to touch upon and that's this is something that i was earwigging and, and over, overhearing you two um before frankie came on luke and, and russ and that was the role of the the psychologist in the academy and that's obviously something that's and rightly so something that's getting a lot of attention um and i'll come to to luke and and frankie in a minute with regards to this and the role of psychologists. but i'd just love while while i've got you on um in in a bit of a role russ to um just get your opinion on where the Psychologist fits what benefits they could potentially bring to the wide not only to the kind of individual individual players, but to the group and the, the staff as well. To have that kind of expertise in the in the building,
3: I think first of all, it's, it's, it's worth mentioning. I think psychology in football, I feel, is at the moment, is probably where S and C, as originally it was called, Sport Science or whatever, was maybe 10, 12 years ago. Um, where people, all coaches didn't really understand where they sat uh, and what their role was and and how to best utilise their expertise. Um, I think that's where they currently are sat and because I think the role is so diverse, potentially. There's performance psychology, there's there's mental health issues, there's dealing with the players, there's dealing with the coaches, um, dealing with the staff. Um Dealing with themselves, <laughs> but there's like we, we have um, many discussions about bang for your buck. You know what? You know, you're in the building for so many hours. You've got 150 players to deal with. How are you going to make the biggest impact? And it's obviously through the coaches, you know, and you know, educating the coaches. And, and we haven't even mentioned the parents, and then and the other uh, external environment situations that these these boys and come come experience to every day. So. Yeah, I think it's just a developing area that um, it's going to be interesting to see how it develops and you know how it's embraced, really.
0: Luke, just like to get your input on that, if possible, and yeah. i come to you, Frankie, in a second Yeah, no, and I think, like, fundamentally,
1: where Russ said um, psychology is where it where SNC was 10, 12 years ago. Like, I completely agree. Like, it wasn't that long ago that they were just sat in a corner doing one-to-ones or or were they, or did I just float around the place or what does that role look like? I think best practice is is beginning to emerge, but that's very individual from club to club, whether as, as Rush rightly says, the medical, of course, we've got to have a scope of practice and referral schemes for uh, mental health and, and our staff need to have an awareness and, and there needs to be a level of quality assurance around that. Um, or is it, do I am I a psychologist that's just working with our coaches and, that in, and informing the language and how they're impacting the players and, and those those stronger relationships? But I think certainly it's got to the point now where psychologists are, are, are becoming more embedded within the academy and are just seen as, a, as another member of support staff. So, of course, as those relationships develop and the players start to – see the benefit and and I've had an experience this off season where I've had three players that are now playing in the football league that have contacted me asking me directly for psychologists' uh, details and seeing that just as we can train uh, our our physiology um, that we all have a mental health and that's on a spectrum and our psychological skills also are on a spectrum so the demands of the modern game are, are incredible and very different to what they were 10 years ago, even with things such as social media and, and some of the money then the pressures that are being earned at such young ages, they're becoming their own individual brand and that brings its different pressures perhaps uh, and the ability to be successful and be malleable and adaptable in those psychological skills will, will have a huge bearing upon their development as a, as a young player progressing through the pathway. So uh, yeah, I, I see huge efficacy
0: in it. What about you, Frankie? Do you have a psychologist at Middlesbrough?
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, we've, we've got a, um, Chelsea's name, so performance psychologist. Um, Chelsea's brilliant. I, I've worked with, oh, I've been fortunate enough to work with with quite a few different psychologists who kind of go about the business in slightly different ways. Um, the way that we're, you know, we, we've tried to shape it in Middlesbrough is that it becomes um, embedded, like, like Russ said, really, within the coaching programme. You know, we, we can't get away from the fact that the coaching program is 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 the main bulk of the program for the boys at the academy, and I think the more that we can we can try and uh, naturally naturally get things to come out through the practices, then, then surely that's better for the players. So a lot of the work is, is spent, and it's not just with the coaching staff that will be with, you know, the medical staff who might spend a lot of time with players in rehab and you know can have an influence on that player through there. So a lot of it is around um, staff coach development and. And trying to make the practices that we do at the academy kind of um, holistic in, in their approach. And that's the same with, with the physical side, which I'm sure we'll, we'll touch upon later.
0: Mm-hmm. So one thing that I want to chat about, and it's been chat about a couple of times, and it's always the physical aspect, um, managing individuals through the academy from a puberty maturation growth rates. But from, and just carry on this kind of psychology thread, at the Academy at Middlesbrough, Frankie, is, that, is, yeah. so, is the psychology and individualising things from that point of view, from um, emotional, behavioural um, side of things, That's something that you try to individualise and deal with indiv- people yeah, absolutely. Yeah. differently?
2: Yeah, okay. absolutely. So, um, you know, all the way down from, you know, the under 23s, down to youth development phase, we, we'll have... Um, we'll have meetings as as a multidisciplinary team Um, we we kind of have an idea of of how the players will will react to certain um, communication styles how they best learn um, how they may react in certain situations so we try and uh, and and kind of get a good rasp on on the individuals and probably the individuals that that sit outside of the norms um, and the ones that we need to just be mindful of with the ways that we we try and work and get the best out of these players and I think that's what you know, everything that we do within the academy is all working towards one goal, and it's getting as, as much as we can out, out of the individual um, to try and get them as far as, as far as we can in the game, and also as far as we can in life. Um, and I think you know again, Charles does a great job in, in trying to educate and upskill all of the support staff that have a an, a, an input and an impact on these players to allow us to, to kind of get the best out of them in, in any given situation. So there's this certainly you know individualized ways of. of um, Working with those players, still within a group setting, I guess, but knowing how you're gonna you maximize your you know, the input that you have with, with any given player. Uh,
0: I've- is there an example of oh, go, on, go no, I think it's just important to recognise
1: and I don't know if Frankie and Russ feel the same but it was almost like in my experience that once upon a time you needed a player to fit a certain profile or a certain model in terms of a cookie cutter and if they didn't fit then then it was almost like they didn't have the skills or requirements to do to take the next step in their journey and I think they're just becoming a greater recognition that we're all on a spectrum and that we're individually diverse and you take any population and take 150 kids out of multiple schools and you're going to have very different needs and very different requirements and and these elements of personal behavior development welfare are all these life skills that are going to impact them as better people which we all know that they're definitely going to be because we know that they're not all definitely going to be footballers and have a career out of the game so we owe them a lot to help develop them through through that childhood
0: is there any examples that you could give either, either Frankie or Luke in situations where things have been individualised to a certain individual um, based on their psychological profile, so to speak? Um,
2: there's, there's, there's been examples of, you know, even when I think of, I, I was working with a certain age group last year and I think I, I will always reflect back as, as a practitioner myself that if, if you're not quite getting a message across to a certain player or you're not quite having the impact that you think you should be having, and then, you know, often or, or always really as, as practitioners, we need to be looking at ourselves with that and kind of reflecting on what we, you know, we are or are not doing. And as Luke just said there, you know, we, we can't we can't expect to apply one thing to everything, every um, to everyone. So even, you know, with with the physical profiling and physical work, we wouldn't do the same thing with everyone. So it's the same to me with the, um, psychological traits and you know how they react in certain situations how they like to be communicated how they will learn and how they'll develop and there was certainly one last year where you know I I was struggling to um I was struggling to to kind of feel like I was having the right impact on this individual um and and having the support of or having the, the the psychology support at hand at the club just helps you dig a little bit deeper into Kind of what makes them tick and how you can change your. it might be how you're how you're explaining something to them it might be how um, you're addressing them within a group setting um, they might like to be told things after after a session or on a one-on-one or they might like to be addressed as a group or they might learn better if it's something that they can see or they might learn better if it's something that they can hear so i think the real little fine details like that that we probably all think we have a little bit of an understanding around having the access to that support on a day-to-day basis for me is invaluable Um, And it's only going to, as as Luke said then, it's only going to make the players um, kind of journey and their experience within the academy better. Mm
0: -hmm. Just coming back to you, Russ, we've chatted about the the psychological side of things, just coming back to the more physical with individualising training, individualising how we work with these these lads who are are on different, very different journeys in terms of their puberty maturation, etc., how do you guys at the Academy at Blackburn do that with such a big group? Obviously there's groups within that big group but there's still 15 lads, 20 lads like that's got to be difficult to manage. How do you guys
3: juggle that up there? Well it's a huge task and when you actually sort of step back and you analyse I'm sure it's the same for everyone the amount of information and work that you sort of put into each of the plays, it's amazing and um, every little bit that you collect, every little bit of data you collect is all a little part of the jigsaw to, to build these individual programs. And that's why it's such a challenge. If you've got 150 plays, you theoretically should have 150 different programs of work for these people, which is a which is a huge task. You know, and obviously a lot of them will overlap. But a lot of it's through, through continuous monitoring and maturation and growth has got to be in any sort of pediatric population, has got to be at The forefront of what you do, um, you know, without um, the correct information or knowledge on this area, I'm, any program's going to fall down or not be successful.
0: Just I'll, I'll bring that back to you, Luke, again. And just, just to clarify, um, Blackburn are a cat, what category of Blackburn? Derby, a cat one. H- are cat yep. one. What middle school, ranking? World Cat One. Ah, oh, yeah, okay. Okay, that makes things a little bit easier. So, how do you guys do that at Derby Loop? Yeah, so with such a group. B3? Yeah,
1: um, it's changing a little bit because this season we we have the reintroduction of day release. So we had a season where we didn't have the day release program. Um, for reasons that we sat down as a team and spoke around the pros and cons and decided that we were going to go away from that program for a year. In hindsight, we've actually gone full circle and it's reinforced some of the positives and some of the negatives weren't actually negatives where we've, we've sat down and reflected on that process. So, um, Of course, we'll go through your very traditional monitoring of anthropometrics. We will also go through a monitoring of force platform and jump data, and we will also be monitoring isometric strength through periods. Now, if for me, and the crucial thing is whether someone is symptomatic or asymptomatic during these periods of increased rates of growth. Now, if someone isn't um Going through, or isn't symptomatic, or through screening isn't showing any physical uh, physical downturn in performance, um, they will remain as part of uh, their program. They will have um, through huddle. They will have some remedial work to be doing away from the away from the club in their own time. Um, and they will have um, an individualized program on day release, their second physical session of the week that's taken alongside with the performance staff and the physiotherapy. They will go through work such as glute activation, medial co- head of gastroc work, uh, coordination work, balance, uh, and range of motion work. Now, if they are symptomatic, uh, and for me the crucial part is h- here is whether they're symptomatic or asymptomatic. If someone is asymptomatic, Us pulling them out of one session a week, for example, over their total load and engagement in physical activity at school um, with their friends with the club is going to play such a small uh, part in terms of actually managing their load we're actually detracting more of one of their five six training sessions a week. So what's actually the point of that? Our asymptomatic guys, however, we will sorry our symptomatic guys we will then significantly manage load um, through day release program. We'll have a similar um, aspect to the other guys, but the volume of that's just greater. So we will reduce their physical load. They will spend more time with uh, the physiotherapy and the uh, academy SNC coach um, on the day release program, and then we will be close. monitoring that through um, VAS scores for example um, session RPEs loads um, and and anything that we that we see fit on a case-by-case basis
0: so we're just gonna take a very quick break in the chat with Luke Russ and Frankie so over in part two we discuss uh, the balance of structure and play and where that fits in different stages of the academy where emphasis should be placed on the younger side of things and how that emphasis may or may not switch as we transition through the um through the pathway but just before we do get into the uh part two with these guys just want to say a big thanks to black box fitness for sponsoring this episode today so black box fitness are a specialist gym manufacturer based in belfast in northern ireland so, they've got some fantastic projects coming up, um, mainly uh, and most notably the Irish rugby team uh, with their fantastic facility, new facility in Dublin. So, if you're looking for a full gym fit out or you're looking for additions to what you've already got, definitely check out the guys at Black Box Fitness. And if you're looking for some recommendations or some ideas, head over to their Instagram page. And you can see some of the current projects that they've got up and running. So if you want to check them out on Twitter or on Instagram, they are at BLKBoxFitness or their website is BLKBoxFitness.com. Also, big thanks to Hawking Dynamics for also sponsoring this episode today. So Hawking Dynamics offer the world's first wireless force plate testing system. So the Hawking Dynamics system is built around what coaches want so they can test in the real world and not just in the lab. So they're able to capture reliable data on all athletes in a matter of minutes and monitor progress from their cloud-based system from anywhere in the world. Head over to the website uh, which is hawkingdynamics.com, um, which you can I mean you can also schedule a demo and follow them on Twitter at Hawking Dynamics. Just going to you, Frankie, and just jumping on the, yeah. the point that Luke made about homework, is that is, is that a, a way that you guys uh, up at Middlesbrough would individualize a certain amount of program a certain program by giving them extra to do when they when they go home rather than adjusting what you do on a, when when they're actually face to face?
2: Yeah, I, th- I think it's a, I think it's a really interesting topic, and I think that you know across the country, you know all academies will be doing something very similar in in their own way. Um, the whole kind of growth and maturation package and and, and how we try and um, how we try and accommodate that with, within the club is developing, and it and it's developed kind of over the past twelve to eighteen months. Um, in terms of the homework side of it, um, obviously you know the academies have got use of the PMA, which is which is a a great tool to allow us to. I think Luke just said about huddle there, but to up upload videos onto the PMA and and kind of give them work to do at home if we feel necessary. And I, and I think at times we get a bit we get a bit hung up with the impact that we have whilst they are with us. And I think you know the big thing that we're talking about at the minute the academy is we you know how, how do we how do we have any idea of of what these players are doing away from the club? Now I've been privy to you know to, to ways of trying to monitor that other clubs where we'll get them to fill in um a questionnaire once a week when they're coming on day release and very very simple um tell us you know what you've been doing this week at PE. what have you been doing you know with your friends how many hours have you been doing outside of the club that you class a sort of physical activity and I think Luke's right in a the way there that sometimes we can be a little bit quick to try and um monitor the load or, or I think we're doing great by taking them out of one session or actually just do the technical and don't do do the physical and you think take a step back sometimes and just have a look at the you know, the bigger picture for these children and, and kind of the small percentage of the time of their week and of their day that they spend with us. And I think a lot of this and and, and kind of a lot of the things that, that we come back to is all around the education. You know, educating the parents, educating the player on, you know, might be a red flag that, you know, they're going through a, an increased, increased uh, period of growth. But actually, are they struggling? Or are they showing other signs of, um, you know, are, are, are they are they not moving great? Do the coaches think that it's starting to affect the performance on the pitch. So, for me, you can't just take one one piece of information. We all collect a lot of information, a lot of data on these players. And I think if we just start to look at one thing in in silo or in isolation, then you no, know, we could end up recommending things to the to the children that actually probably don't make a difference to the to the bigger picture for them. If that makes sense.
0: One thing that I've picked up there is you said children twice, yeah. and I think that that puts a different spin, spin on the whole conversation rather than players and athletes. When you say children, and just play devil's advocate here with the the kind of get trying to get to know what they do at home, and I know I get it, like it obviously fits into the bigger picture, but for me, just then when you said children, I thought, do we like? It's going quite far to know what they're doing at home during the week. Yeah, no, it's not. Totally. Is that is that a conversation that you have internally no, like, as well?
2: I, I totally agree with your point there. it is. But then I think that we we try and you know I'm talking here about you know nines to sixteens where they're not in full time with you and you have a really good grasp on what they're doing. So I think that we can we can look to to say right, what are they doing when they're with us? How much are they doing of this? Are they struggling? Are they going through peak height velocity? Is their growth rate above seven centimetres um, their annual growth rate? And and all these things that we can start to flag up. But but actually they might be they might be going away from the club and they might be doing 12 hours of, of physical activity a week on top of what they're doing at the club. And this is you know, this is an example that I've had from a previous club when we started to look a little, little deeper, and it wouldn't be across the academy, because it'd be impossible to do, but with certain um, with, with certain players within the academy so it might be the ones that are going through peak height or the ones that are going through peak height and know, you know they're going through a gross bet as well. If we start to look at right actually what are they doing outside of the club and what does their full physical activity look like as a you know as a child as a young athlete however you want to put it and you know there's an instance at, at one of the other clubs that, that we did this at and you know they were doing up to sort of 12 15 hours of of play you know might be PE lessons some of it might be in competitive play, so it might be you know, playing for the school in, in rugby or whatever it might be. And you're thinking like, we start to individualise at that age what they do at the academy, but are we then just ignoring all of the other stuff that adds to that outside? Like it is it's it is a bit of a minefield, but I think that we, we do need to look at we need to look at it it all as a whole as opposed to just looking at what they're doing when they're with us. And and the best way of doing that, I don't know the answer. And I'd like to know the people's opinion and, and how other people do it. Because, you know, often with these things, you, you tend to have a, you know, you scratch the surface of it, if you, if you like. But I do think it's a, a massive thing for us to be aware of.
3: Russ, how do you go about that at Blackburn? Yeah, I mean, we agree with all of that. I mean, the, I think the key principles are that, to remember that these, these boys, these children, are school children who happen to play a bit of football. And they're not, yeah. not professional footballers. But first and foremost, that they're aspiring footballers, aren't they? And even if they're 15, 16 years old. And the other thing is that the parents are the experts in their children. They know far more about their children than we know. So it's about us being like a support mechanism and also educating the parents about all the things that Frank has been saying as well, you know, to make it a two-way conversation about, you know, what they're doing. Away from the place, what to expect symptom wise, because you know, leaning on to what Lou was saying, I think it all should be symptom led. You know, the growth and maturation um, issue, Um, the particular things that we do, Blackburn, get if you want me to get into the nitty gritty sort of stuff. um, You know, obviously, all the standard things like you know, adult height and and peak height velocity, but you've always got to remember, as people are aware, that the inaccuracies with these things, so to use them as actual. Um, gold standards to, to to manipulate your program around these numbers that are uh, in the infancy that they're inaccurate um, there they should just be a guide so uh, the lot, the, the core of our program really when we're monitoring sort of growth and maturation is down to just stature um, and measuring it regularly and we measure it weekly um, with every player from in the youth development phase upwards up to professional development phase and people might think that that's sort of almost impossible to do. Um, but the way we do it practically is we get the, the, the players to measure measure each other. So they're taking a bit of ownership, going back to that, by educating them. So we have baselines that we have ourselves as staff that we measure. And then the players um, measure each other and put it into the computer. And it'll flag up red if someone's gone above been um, excessive growth that week onto their baseline, and then we'll re-measure them to check that it isn't inaccuracy, accuracy, if that makes sense. Hmm.
0: Yep.
3: Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah.
0: yeah, absolutely, then, mate,
3: yep. And then from there, we'll do a, a, a number of other sort of measurements. Um, a big thing for me is looking at leg length um, to see if that sort of changed. Um, but then also it's having a, an informal sort of discussion with them about, you know, what they're doing, um, any symptoms. And if they're asymptomatic, the program doesn't change at all. Um, but, every, but then it's flagged up in the MDT about this player's this week has grown excessively um, and, and we'll go from there really But
0: I'm going to come back to you now with a new topic Luke and it's something that we've chatted about in the past and it's balancing the structure and the play aspect and I think we, we chatted about it when you were at Chef United because you'd, you'd and we've discussed it previously that you'd kind of swung that way, maybe swung back, and then found your way somewhere in the middle. Um, what What is your take on on that on that tough balance between the two, especially with the younger? Yeah, I, I think
1: fundamentally, and we've we've already spoken about catering for the individual, and I think we need to continue to cater for the individual. And I think uh, industry as, well, it's quite interesting because we've got, as Russ has already said, has had a strength and conditioning and has had a physio background. And we've got Frankie, who's got a bit of a sports science background and myself as a strength and conditioning coach, but all hold very similar roles within the club. Now, my education pathway taught me to almost um, cater for professionals. And what I was seeing was that we were dealing with youth athletes and especially young athletes as many adults and they have completely different physiological requirements as we've already touched upon they have completely different psychological uh, requirements and they're individuals within that homogenous group now for me athletic development as uh, as as these younger age groups all comes down to being age appropriate so what does that look like and how would you want your child to go into a football club and actually enjoy themselves and, and to get the physical outcomes like we wouldn't expect football training to be a real hard down the line serious we're trying to encourage our players to love the sport to engage to them to grow and love the football club that they're playing for and to harness the, the this special period of their lives where they're, they're sponges and that they can absorb information and we're seeing this constant development so I wanted our our athletic development sessions to mirror that. So I want these sessions to be fun. They may not always know why or what the outcome of those sessions. So actually, we're stood on one leg and in a group and we're catching frisbees. Now, they don't need to go down hand-eye coordination, unilateral balance, stacking of joints, uh, interlimb coordination again. Like, uh, But there's, a, there's definitely a physical outcome from that. And we're going to want that to be as fun and as engaging as we can. Now, if it becomes a point where that goes beyond and detracting from the physical outcome that we're getting, then we need to tone that back and move down to becoming a, a bit more of a closed-loop task. Working with those football coaches, and some of these, and particularly in the foundation phase, some of these balance, coordination, um, can be done in ball manipulation sessions. And we can be with the coaches around them. We can pick up. We can watch um in simple we we did a task the other week uh, and we went through some basic um fit we went through um basic um some running so some turning patterning in a game-like environment and and i was observing one of our coaches so will davis that's just recently joined us from Aspetar. i watched will going through this great session with the football coaches and i said Let's identify the ones that can't position themselves in space and time, that can't organize their limbs and get this movement challenge and this movement problem. And I say, let's correlate that now to the ones that struggle or are technically not as proficient or ones that are not as technically able And there was, and this isn't a scientific study. This is n equals one. There was direct correlation. We had one outlier, and we we came to a reason to why that was that his his bandwidth was really small and narrow, but he'd become highly specialized at a small range of tasks. But there was direct correlation, and I've seen this across multiple times about transitioning practice to performance and this is how I want our department to deliver our sessions in a fun engaging way where we enjoy phys- physical activity, we appreciate how to produce force at high rates, we appreciate what hard work is but that's not just for example running from line to line, in- line pointlessly and digging a big deep hole. So it's just been age appropriate and for it to be engaging. And we've seen increases in some of the work of like Jeremy Frisch and Craig Harrison. And this is all great stuff. Now, there's elements that we still need to make sure that we are having an intervention and that we are overloading movement patterns and that there is a clear this is where you're at. This is where we're getting to. And what have I done to actually intervene and enhance that performance and and engage you in a a wider element of physical literacy rather than just reinforcing uh, preconceived movement patterns, for example, and we're just actually strengthening those and we're not finding new ranges and new tasks. But that's where we need to be clever as coaches and set up environments uh, that elicit certain movements or certain outcomes and, and go back to constraints-based learning that we see our football coaches talking about through their youth modules and through their coaching badges and then we go all the way to dynamic systems theory and the work of Keith Davids but this is sort of how I, how I want our, our athletic development to be or I just think that in particular our foundation phase they've been at school all day and we see these kids growing up and we hold the hand and we're trying to get our babies to start walking and they start standing up by the sofa and we're engaging this this go-and-give-it-a-go attitude and, and we we give them the support through these early uh, informative years and then we get to school and we sit down and we're quiet and we've got to sit with our arms crossed and got to be silent. And then the one thing that we love is break time and we can go and play football. We get this huge psychological release and for me, they then shouldn't have to travel an hour, 30 minutes, an hour and a half to come to another environment and take that passion away from playing football and being physically active. So for me, we with the foundation phase, we take the first element of this session, then move in with the coaches into the, the technical, tactical stuff. But for me, that has to be a release. That has to be a real enjoyment. And it's got to a point now where we, we, we and it's, again, there's a spectrum, but Lads aren't seeing SNC as a negative thing. It's seen as as a fun time where that impacts them. And the final question that we will always come to is how did today's session impact you as a young athlete? And did you
0: enjoy it? That's all it comes down to. Is that something that you try to integrate at at Middlesbrough, Frankie? The kind of put more play aspect, unstructured
2: yeah, absolutely. I think you know a lot of the things that Luke has just alluded to. That I'd, I'd totally agree with. A few things stuck out, and that's enjoyment. You know, if you try and, anyone that's worked with you know younger players, nine to twelve, nine to under twelve, under fourteen, whatever that might be, if you try and elicit a physical quality out of a session that is very structured, you're going to get very little back from them. Whereas if you try and elicit a physical quality in a in a session that's dominated by play. Like the the difference is chalk and cheese they enjoy it the lively the loud the intensity and the intent of, of the work within the session goes through the roof and I think that you can in my opinion you can still have play with a structure but the structure isn't seen by the players so the structure would would mold what you do so that it becomes more of an unconscious learning environment but you know that naturally a certain physical quality is going to come out in the session and I think that's where you get you get the balance because the players enjoy it the players are into the session. There's a competitive element. Um, but there's still, there's still the structure that, that we know they're, they're going to overload a certain pattern. And I think getting that balance is, you know, that, that's, that's key to working with these, these age groups. And another thing that Luke's just said there as well that stuck out was about the longevity. And I think we, we owe it to these, you know, younger athletes in particular. And Rob, you've made me very conscious of saying children now.
0: Oh, no, please, I'll, 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 it, it put a whole new dynamic on it for me. Yeah, well... Because I, it, in a really positive way for yeah. me, personally.
2: Well, I think, you know, at that age, that's what they are. and Absolutely. We, we kind of owe it to them within the academy to... One of our, one of our aims should be that, that these children, that these players have a physical activity longevity. And, you know, when they come to be a 30-year-old, 40-year-old, that they're still engaged in physical activity... And ultimately, if we make it still and stagnant for them at that age, that's going to have a negative connotation long term. And the other thing with longevity is, I think that, you know, as they progress through the pathway and as they become a, you know, top-end YDP, you know, professional development phase player, when they become 15, 16, 17, 18, where there has to be more structure and there has to be a little bit more um, focus in the work that they're doing with a strength and conditioning coach, and I think that the work that we do with them at a young age, they then get a positive stigma attached to that. And I think that long term in their development, that's really beneficial as well. So there's a few points in there that you know, I'd, you know, I, I totally agree with. With Luke, and that's kind of how we try and approach it in Middlesbrough as well. And also,
1: like if they come in at nine years of age, they're going to be with us for ten years, and it it can't it can't get boring. (laughs) Like, and and it's hard for us as staff. Like, we're in the building a lot, and it's got to be engaging, and it's got to be something different. And don't get me wrong; there's still those fundamental training principles that we're, we're that we're. Um, enhancing in the background, but it, it, it can't yeah. be a point where it's soon going to become monotonous for all of us. And all I all I ever say to our staff is, if you if that play gets released and you see them in Tesco's, will they smile at you? And would you be able to have a conversation with them? And if you can, for me, you've been pretty successful. Yeah.
0: Just coming to you, Russ, and something that you mentioned right at the start in terms of all the, the data that's been collected, should we be conscious of? the play element been less quantifiable and less um, able to evidence? And again, maybe linking back to the P or should that be something that we not as conscious of because of the, all the things that we've just mentioned?
3: No, oh, absolutely. I think fundamentally it's got to be, you know, enjoyment's got to be, uh, the heart of everything that we do. Whatever HDR they are, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a fantastic thing to be involved with and, and you, you want to start with that premise that you don't want them to fall out of love with, with the game and, and it's really interesting to listen to what, what the guys are saying there and I think we, you can over-sanitise it, can't you? You know, um, and over-complicate it maybe. I think people probably have been, um, been you know, um, guilty of doing that in the past. So I think, yeah, the foundation phase, definitely, all the things that have been mentioned earlier, and then, obviously, as you're moving through the um, through the system, things things do change and become a bit more sort of specialist or or, or working on particular areas of weakness or, or or strengths as well, building on sort of sort of different sort of strengths. Yeah. Well, at what point does that
0: that focus change from the incorporating play um, into sessions? Well, at what point does that become uh, a much much less focus, what what kind of age we, we're talking about. Obviously, you want to make it fun
3: throughout. I think when there should be a play element to everything, hasn't there? You know, I think that's got to be, a, at the end of the day, it is a sport. It should be enjoyable. It should be a play element. But I, I know you actually get you're getting at as, as you move through and things become, to use the word serious, or a little bit more sort of um, result-orientated. I mean, I don't think in, in the academy, it should ever be results oriented at all. It should all be about development and performance, shouldn't it? Um, but yeah, obviously, as you're moving through the system, you get into 14, 15, 16 plays. Do play in the first team at 17 years old at 16 years old. Um, so there's a natural responsibility to prepare people for this.
0: Yeah, just coming back to, to you, Frankie, and, and just to finish off on, a, on one of the main points that I wanted to get through. With that play aspect and with the kind of more unstructured work that you may do in the academy how how easy or how difficult is it to be able to watch that and luke's mentioned the the kind of little experiment that he he had with one of his players to identify what's missing with that player and actually produce a plan that is going to be um kind of actionable for that individual
2: yeah Yeah, I I, i think that if you if you create the right environment at the young age and you and you kind of put on these sessions where you know players feel comfortable players feel feel confident in what they're doing and there's always got to be a reason why you're doing what you're doing and that's a big thing for me in this so so if we're trying to look at um how comfortably a player can change direction for example well we have to put constraints on on that play to to allow change the direction to occur um and I think that if we're looking at identifying weaknesses with players, I think that that needs to be um, that needs to be a discussion, and it is a discussion within the MDTs, within the support staff that, that support that age group, that support those players, uh, because it might be that in that certain session that it's actually the session that you're doing, or the sport that you might be playing, or the rules that are on that, or how I guess how eager they are within that within that session that, that's making something look. Um, so it's a bad term, but um, non-ideal. Uh, so it's not the right term. But it, you may you may pick up on something in that session that actually isn't real because when they go out into a normal environment for them, which might be um, small-sided games, might be large-sided games, it might just be a technical session, that actually that doesn't come to fruition. So I think we just need to ensure that we're always including the staff that work with them you know, on, on, on a much more regular basis. And if it's something that we see occurring regularly throughout different environments and, and, and different sessions that we're putting on, um, then, you know, as every academy has, then then these players will have individual learning plans. And sometimes that isn't, you know, you're coming out with a strength and conditioning coach or you're doing more with a football coach. Sometimes, actually, it's it's advising them at what they could do, as we said earlier in this, in this session, about what they could do away from the club. And that might not be homework. It might not be stuff that we set them as in, you need to do this this exercise, you need to do it this many times. And it might be that we say, well, actually, you know, we're, we're, we're looking at it changing change of direction. And the more that you're practising it and the more that you're doing it, the better you're getting at it. So when you go into your, um, I don't know, when you go into your basketball lesson at school or when you go into your dodgeball lesson at school, just have that in your mind that actually that's going to help you when you come back into your football So it might not always be, for me, it's not always about adding and giving and giving. At times, yes, that's important because there might be something that we feel is fundamentally an issue. But sometimes it's about highlighting to the player how they can improve that within a normal environment for them. And, you know, they they do a lot. They do a lot at school. um, They do a lot at the club. And I think the more that we can um, identify chances for them to improve that, then the better. And I think as you go as you go through the phases, and I the a question you've just said to Ross. I think that the detail and the information, and, and potentially the queuing that we give them, that's what kind of becomes more apparent. Um, but I still think the same, you know, the, the, the same principle applies even for the thirteen, fourteen, fifteen-year-olds. It might be that just actually we may have to isolate that movement a little bit more than what we did when they were 9, 10, 11, 12. So I think there's different ways of looking at it, but that's something that we try and we try and help players with a at Middlesbrough is that well, actually, how can we how can we not necessarily add work to this player to this child that's already doing a lot? How can we try and make it more? How can we make them see the relevance of it with what they're doing at school, with the mates at the club, whatever that might be?
0: So we've, I've already kept you guys longer than I had promised almost 20 minutes over so apologies for that but thank you very much for giving up your what day is it thursday evening to talk to me um i'll put all the um twitter handles and instagram and facebook and all that kind of stuff in the uh in the show notes so i can uh, people can follow you and ask you questions um hopefully that's all right but thank you to each one of you to russ uh, Frankie and Luke for, for your time. So, thank you very much, guys. And um, we'll keep in touch and, and speak soon, no doubt. Yeah, not a problem at all. Thank Cheers, Rob. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks. Bye bye. Thanks tuning in to episode 253 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the chat with Luke, Frankie, and Russ. So, personally, I hope you agree that it was an absolutely unbelievable episode, and especially to get three experts in this area on at the same time was absolutely brilliant and uh, love the fact they were bouncing off each other and getting some really good interesting discussion so before I let you go just want to say a big thanks to iMeasureU to Hawking Dynamics to Blackbox Fitness and to Kitman Labs for sponsoring this episode today also huge thanks for the support of the Football Association the FA for supporting this uh, this podcast and making it super easy for me to get these three guys on at the same time So thank you again for supporting the podcast and listening and I will chat to you next week.